0: the download is complete
1: welcome to the AV forums podcast presented by Phil Hinton hello and welcome to the home cinema podcast for April coming up we're going to look at the latest plasma TVs that have been reviewed on AV forums and I'll also report on our recent trip to Korea to visit LG. And joining me on this edition of the podcast is AV Forum's assistant editor, Steve Withers. Good evening, Steve. Evening, Phil. So let's kick things off. Uh, we have covered three of the biggest TVs that we suspect are going to be the most popular this year two from Panasonic and one from Samsung. Uh, so let's start with Samsung. The F. 8,500. It was a showstopper at CES for us, uh, one of the the few screens that really stood out on the show floor. So what was it like when you finally got it in for review? Well,
0: I'll be honest, Phil, I mean, like you say, when we saw it at CES, uh, you know, it definitely was an eye-catcher, no question about that. I mean, Samsung have got a history of some fairly, fairly innovative design, and this was no exception. Um, but they'd also been making some pretty, pretty big claims about picture quality they were talking about, you know, much deeper blacks, a much brighter image um so therefore a much wider dynamic range and uh, uh you know and certainly at ces that was one of their major points about this tv and so there was a lot of anticipation when it came to the f8500 people were thinking know, oh, is this going to be up there with the panasonic's in terms of performance uh certainly it could be better than the panasonic's in terms of brightness because as, as most people will know last year's panasonic's definitely weren't the brightest of plasmas uh, but clearly they've remain, remained the industry leader when it comes to black levels so we've got it in for review uh it's we had the 64 inch version um, now, the, the unusual thing about the, the new design, or well, two unusual things. One is that they, they've got this sort of um, the, what they call the flow uh, stand. So it's got a sort of a bendy bit to it. it looks very attractive. I actually thought it looked really nice uh, in my lounge. However, having said that, you do need a, quite a wide area to, to position it on because it's basically that the stand is the entire width of the TV. And of course, um, there isn't really anywhere to put a center speaker or a, or a, um, or a soundbar. So uh, that could be an issue, I guess, for some people. Um, but certainly in terms of look, I thought it was quite striking. I think it's one of those things that might be a bit Marmite. People might think either it looks great or not so much. But uh, in my case, I thought it was very attractive. It's also all made of metal. So the entire chassis, the bezel, the stand, all metal, solid metal um, with a brushed dark grey, yeah, sort of dark gray, dark grey, gunmetal grey finish. Um, again, I thought very attractive. It does make it quite heavy, though. So if you're wall mounting, that needs to be uh, considered.
1: Yeah, I've, um, I've got to say, at CES, I was really taken aback by the design. But I guess you're right with the Marmite thing. I mean, I've read quite a few comments on the forums where people are not taken by the flow of the stand. But for me, that was one of the main things that really sort of made it stand out. I mean, it was it was completely different from the rest of the bunch, uh, if you know what I mean, in terms of the stand design. And in terms of the stand actually flows into the bezel of, of the TV as well. And it had that metal finish, which made it look really, really crisp, I thought.
0: Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the Panasonics in a minute, but the, the conversely, their design was almost identical to the previous year, so it would really be difficult to differentiate just by looking at the TV itself, this year's models from last year's models, but um, in terms of the uh, the F8500, you know, no question, you, you spot that immediately, that's this year's planet, um, Samsung plasma, and... Um, yeah, it definitely will stand out from the crowd in a crowded shop. So uh, I guess that's part of the reason for doing it. I mean, certainly Samsung have sort of led the way in terms of design and, and, and more striking design features on their TVs. And quite often we find that they get copied by everybody else a year or so later. So we're interested to see if this has more impact um, again on designs for next year. But certainly this year, I thought it was very attractive. I have got friends who thought, they thought it was hideous, but I guess you know to each their own. Um, that, that's the look of the TV. Obviously, in terms of features, it has their uh, their, their new smart hub, which uh, uh, last year they were, they were definitely the best uh, platform on the market. I think this year, again, I'm, I haven't seen everything yet, but certainly my experience so far, again, I think Samsung are, are at the top of the game in terms of uh, smart features, in terms of interactivity, in terms of the, the design and, and, and the functions available. Um, so you've got, you've got the smart hub on there. That's what you want, a reference badge uh, in the review we did of that from a previous 8, 000, the previous 8000, the F8000. Uh, LED LCD TV. Uh, so it's got that in there. it's got uh, it's got both Freeview and Freesat tuners, twin tuners for both. So you can add on um, a hard disk drive. you've got a fully functioning PVR attached to that as well. Um you know it's got uh, had four HDMI inputs, which is good because some of the manufacturers, notably Panasonic, are only using three at the moment. uh fortunately, they were sideways facing, uh, unlike the f eight thousand lCD LED LCD TV, which had uh, upwards facing or downwards facing if you look at it, downwards facing inputs. Uh, which I thought was, A, much more tidy in terms of cable management, and um, obviously handy for mounting on a wall. This had the, t- the sidewards-facing um, inputs, which, again, are too close to the edge. I mean, even on a 64-inch big screen, I had cables poking out the sides, you know, and it kind of really annoyed me. You know, you thought, well, you make, put all this effort into designing this really attractive TV, and then you're going to put the inputs too close to the edge and therefore ruin the, the sleek lines of the design. Um, it seems like such an... I mean, I've been banging on about this for three years. It seems like such an obvious thing. I've literally pointed it out to Sanson's you know, head of QA to start saying, look, they're too close to the edge. Uh, and yet they continue to do it. I thought when I saw the F8000, I thought, aha, they finally got the message. Uh, but not on the F8500. It still has sideward-facing inputs, which is my one, one of my few gripes about the TV, to be honest.
1: Obviously most people are going to be interested in picture quality when we were at ces it's not the best time to judge picture quality uh, on the show floor you're also looking at pre-production samples and you don't know what tricks are being played but you've now had a retail sample in uh, it's a finished
0: production sample Uh, what was it like in terms of picture quality to the picture quality it was very good it wasn't Perhaps as good as I was expecting. I, was, I kind of had bought into the hype and was maybe a little bit disappointed. Uh, the black levels were certainly an improvement on last year for Samsung. Nowhere near what I was getting from the GT60 that I reviewed from Panasonic. I mean, measured like zero, 0.04 uh, CDM squared, which is very good. Uh, you know, blacks looked good. It did have a feature called black optimizer, which was meant to improve the black levels. Now, it did <laughs> when you put a black screen up. Then it dropped down to like point zero zero seven, so much darker black. But as soon as you put up, a you know, checkerboard pattern, so you had a, a mix of images—not not just black, but you know, black and white—then it was back up to its the previous levels of zero point zero four. So clearly, I'm not I'm not entirely sure that the optimizer actually does do anything other than improve its claimed contrast ratio in the marketing. And when it came to a, you know, a normal actual image, uh, I could see no visible difference when flicking between the different settings. So uh i'm not quite sure that's just a sneaky little uh feature to to say they can claim that we're getting you know much darker blacks and much brighter image and again with the images i can get 120 cdm squared out of it which is quite impressive i think for a 64 inch plasma tv um but i have you know there's been reports of it some people claiming it's as bright as an LED LCD tv i certainly wouldn't claim that was true um i thought it had had pretty good it had a great dynamic range it was it was a bright image for for such a big tv Um, But I think some people were expecting it, myself included, to a degree, to be even brighter than that. I know there have been some firmware updates since I did the review, Uh, and there have been reports elsewhere in the world of uh, of really bright images from the TV. Uh, Why you would want a TV quite that bright, I'm not necessarily so sure. I think 120 CDM squared is more than sufficient for any TV in most environments, unless you're sitting in front of a window with the sun blazing in. Uh, Certainly, for any of the viewing I did, I, I, I found the image to be more than sufficiently bright. Uh, you know, even after calibration and uh, and blacks were nice and black. I mean, it only basically it would have, I think I was slightly disappointed because I came onto reviewing that straight after the GT60, which absolutely knocked blacks out of the park in terms of, you know, the black levels we were measuring on that. So I think maybe that was part of the disappointment for me because, I mean, yeah, you know, I was thinking, well, oh, it's not quite as black as I was expecting. Um, but in terms of overall performance, you know, motion handling was superb. The, the image was nice and clean and detailed. There's no forced contouring. Uh, you know so you you really couldn't you you couldn't fault it in most respects i mean it it was a fantastic looking tv a great image Uh, i think anyone who gets one won't be disappointed um as always the calibration controls are excellent you can get an absolute reference performance out of it in terms of color and uh and grayscale so uh yeah all around a very solid tv you know You, you, you you kind of get what you pay for you're getting a beautiful television great features good performance um you know a really good plasma. And, and I think when we did the roundup for last year, I was a big fan of the, of the previous E8000, um, which I thought was one of the best TVs I saw last year. I thought it was a great TV. And again this year, another really solid round performer that, um, you know, if you're a fan of Samsung plasmas or if you want to check out the new design, and, and you won't be disappointed, I don't think.
1: So let's move on to the Panasonics then. Uh, you had the opportunity to have the, the 8500 and uh, the Panasonic GT60 at the same time. Now, apart from the black levels, which you've already discussed, which was a little bit disappointing on the Samsung, GT60, uh, I take it from reading your review, and, and obviously we've discussed it at length uh, over a, a few conversations now. Um, Panasonic, do it again, the knock it out of the park, and you've got to think, well, how are the VT65 and, and the ZT65 going to compete with such a great TV at such a, an outstanding price point?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always... The GT has always been a strange television, because you've got the you've got the VT, which up until this year had been the flagship plasma. There was the ST, the in- entry level, and then in the middle there was the GT, which basically shared majority of uh, of, of of the sort of features found on the on the VT. And um, certainly in terms of picture performance, it was identical. It was basically just a slightly different filter and some cosmetic changes and maybe some more remote controls and that kind of stuff. But ultimately, performance-wise, failed to differentiate the two TVs. So I, I think obviously over the last couple of years, Panasonic had seen sales going uh, to the gt and then last year they, they they did two screen sizes only 42 and 50 there was no 42 inch v, vt so that made the gt the obvious choice of that screen size and then at 15 there was a bit of choice um, this year they've dropped the gt entirely in the states so in the states it's just st vt and then there'll be the, the zt but that's going to be sort of a limited availability enthusiast tv so you had like two really two plasmas to choose from in the states in europe they have retained the GT um uh, model so that's an interesting choice. Obviously, they, they feel that in Europe, there's still a place for it. Um, certainly, you know, if you're looking for a 42-inch TV, you know, you know um, the GT is going to be the obvious go-to model because there isn't really much alternative. And performance-wise, I think you'll be hard put to find anything that that screen size is going to compete with it, frankly. Uh, obviously, 50 inches is a bit more choice. There are more differences, it seems, this year between the GT and the VT than there was in previous years. But uh, getting the GT in for review, um, you know, I, there was, again – as is every year, anticipation when it comes to Panasonic. Everyone's expecting, oh, are they going to be the new curious? Are they going to beat Pioneer? Is it, uh, how good is it going to be? How black is it going to be? You know, Is this the year that Pan... I mean, obviously, last year, we had the same conversations, and the VT50, got a reference badge. It was the first one in three years. Uh, and you know, it was an absolutely stonking television. GT was very close, just behind that. This year, the, I think we got the GT first. And uh, I've got to say, uh, absolutely stonking image. We, we see a lot of TVs, right, Phil? It's, it takes a lot to you know, blow me away and surprise me. And, and I was looking at it, and obviously I've got a, a, a Kuro as a reference, and I thought that that's, that's a a. Re- I I mean, you can turn on a TV, and we've seen enough TVs to know. We, you turn it on and think, that looks good. <laughs> that looks really good. And that was my immediate thought, was the blacks were clearly Kuro-level blacks. I mean, it was very black. And 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 the dynamic... And, but also, and perhaps most importantly, compared to last year, it was so much brighter. Last year, in the pro modes, you, you, would, you, you were struggling to get 80, 90 CDM squared out of them, um, really. Uh, this this had no problem whatsoever. It also had the panel brightness or panel luminance feature, uh, which has been available on the US models but hadn't been available in Europe before. That's now on there. You've got low, medium, high setting. Um, on a medium setting, I, I was hitting 120. No problem whatsoever. Um, don't use the high setting, though, because that totally screws the gamma. But uh, certainly with the medium and low settings, you can get a very bright image, very deep blacks a fantastic contrast ratio and dynamic range, absolutely stonking. And and, again, excellent calibration controls, very natural, um, accurate images uh, nice and detailed, no noise in the, very little noise in the image. And, uh, the only real point, um, I mean, certainly I had no issues again this year. I don't think it was, I think it was non-issue last year, if I'm being honest. And this year, definitely a non-issue, no issues at all with 50 Hertz. The only real point of, um, minor complaint, I suppose would be, uh, there was some false contouring in there, which is, you know, you get from Panasonic plasmas. Um, that was the only thing really I could pick it up on. Otherwise, it was an absolutely brilliant TV. So when you throw in the the, uh, I thought it was an attractive TV. It immediately looks exactly the same as last year. You know, it's black bezel, silver trim, TV, silver stand, very attractive. Uh, lovely features. Got it's got the new Panasonic uh, smart smart um, my my home screen is cool, which is their new smart platform. Uh, plenty of you know great features. Uh, all the calibration controls. Nice design design menu, remote, everything in there. Throw in the performance for the price. 1300 pounds really that is just an absolute best buy I, I defy you to find anything any better purchase out there for that money than than, than the 50 inch um, uh gt60 so yeah it won we got the best buy badge for me uh, i think it is absolutely uh, a spectacular performer for the money and i can't see anything else coming close to it at that price point
1: i'll look at the forums when our reviews go up and see what the comments are and a lot of comments so, uh, why is this not a reference why is it a best buy uh, i guess this is probably the time for us to explain exactly how that works and uh, basically a best buy is a product which outperforms its price point by some margin um, so rather than a highly recommended which would go to a product that at its price point it's the best um, this clearly outperforms its price point and when you're looking at stuff like a two and a half thousand pound F eight thousand Samsung LED TV and this is only thirteen hundred quid in the picture quality is night and day. Uh, that's why it gets a best buy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean people seem to think, I don't know, there's obviously some confusion when it comes to the hierarchy of the awards. But obviously the bottom not bottom, but you know, the first badge you 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 can award is a recommender. So a recommended is suggesting that it's an excellent product, it performs very well, get the competition, and it's certainly worth considering for purchase. And you have the highly recommended, you know, as you said, Phil, it's something that's performing very well in its price point. You know, it's got lots to, you know, to recommend it for. And, and, and you really should definitely consider this. It should be right near the top of your list of your out demoing products. Then there's obviously the reference badge, which sits above highly recommended. And then kind of to the side of that is the Best Buy badge. So Best Buy doesn't sit below recommended or above. You know, it, it's, what it's saying, as you just said, Phil, is that this is providing exceptional performance for the money. So not only is it a great performer, in its price point, but it, it's actually a great performer, you know, compared to much products probably that are even more expensive because it's, it's just giving such fantastic value for money. Um, and th- those badges don't get awarded that often because obviously you're looking at it these days with, with so much competition in terms of pricing, it's difficult to find something that is doing that. But there was no question in my mind that when you combine features, performance, and, and, and cost, price of the GT, it was by far and away the obvious, might for me, the definition of a best buy. No question about it. I mean, it doesn't have to mean that something's going to be dirt cheap, just means that you know it's offering exceptional value and i think the GT offers exceptional value for its performance Um, then of course there's the reference badge now the thing about reference badges you know that's saying this product is a reference point against which all other things are going to be measured well you can't have multiple reference points otherwise it becomes meaningless now you could say we haven't reviewed the 42 inch gt60 yet but clearly there is no competitor at that screen size so it could well be that whilst the duty, the 50-inch GT60 is a, is a best buy badge, we might discover that the 42-inch GT60 is the reference point at that screen size. You can make an argument for that. So I mean, that's the way you have to look at reference badges. So you can't have like 10 different TVs all reference because then then well that becomes meanness, isn't it, Phil?
1: It does. And uh, you know, with the other flip of the coin, uh, a lot of people th- seem to think that the ZT65 is an automatic uh, reference badge winner. But let's remember, it's only available in one screen size, and it's limited availability. So will that impact on its scoring? Well, we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to wait till we get that in, which is hopefully going to be towards the end of May. So the VT65, uh, last year the VT line was the top of the range Panasonic's. But as I've just alluded to, the ZT is the top of the line TV. It's available in one size. So the VT uh, available, 50, 55, and 65-inch. Uh, Mark looked at the 55-inch, and unfortunately, he's not on the podcast, so we uh, we can't get his uh, his thoughts on here. Um, but obviously, it has, again, uh, received the reference badge. Um, outstanding performance, all in one package, and they've knocked it out of the park again with that one, Steve. And I guess... It was going to take something tragic for that not to happen given last year's model. I mean, they would have to have have seriously dropped the ball, I think.
0: There's always a temptation to think, well, they're just going to rest on their laurels and it's just going to be more of the same this year. And and when I first saw them at CS, I did think, you know, they look very similar (laughs) to last year. Uh, But I actually do think there have been iterative improvements being made here, certainly in terms of black levels, definitely definitely in terms of brightness. Given how good the VT50 was, um, you know, with the added brightness on the on the on the new VT60 65, sorry, VT65, just to make that clear, it's not the VT60 anymore, it's the VT65. Although it is the VT60 in the states, just to confuse everybody, and Europe, you know, is it 60 in Europe as well? Yeah,
1: it's only in the it's UK. Just in the 65. UK, is it? Yeah, only in the UK it's a 65. Yeah,
0: thanks, thanks Panasonic. That's good. <laughs> Um Yeah, the yeah, given the added brightness as well, you because know, that's one the one complaint. You could probably only three really. Uh, there were two minor complaints, basically about the, the last year's VT50, which was um, uh, false contouring at, at times on certain images and um, a lack of brightness in the pro modes. And this year, you know, you've got the brightness; you've still got a little bit of false contouring, but the, certainly the brightness is no longer an issue. And I, I think that alone, you know, is going to guarantee it's going to get reference again. Um, in terms of it's interesting, we were talking about earlier about design and some people liking things and not liking things. That they they, everyone complains about how poor. Sound quality is on TVs nowadays because you know because they're so much thinner and everything else. And Panasonic, with the with the VT range, have actually uh, made a, a wider, a, d- a deeper chassis and a much wider to put speakers in at the sides um, to improve the sound quality. And a lot of people have been moaning about that, saying they didn't like the design of the chassis. Um, so I guess you just can't win sometimes, can you? you? You try and address one issue, and other people moan about something else. Um, but i actually think it looks quite attractive again i think it's uh you know they have the single sheet of glass approach with the, with the with the vt model as opposed to the sort of bezel and glass approach of the of the gt that's one of the major differences in terms of cosmetics and um yeah i think again that the uh the vt65 is, is was a very attractive tv to look at even when it's not on um i've seen it uh it shows along with you along with i haven't actually reviewed one yet but um just going off the back of the GT, you, know, you knew the VT was going to be superb and it didn't disappoint. But talk, I know from talking to Mark, uh, yeah, he absolutely loved it. and didn't want to give it back.
1: And he's going to have uh, another screen size to look at as well. We won't tell you which one. Uh, you can find out when the review goes live. But that obviously, it picked up the, the reference badge. Um, so what are we
0: going to do for the rest of the year, Steve? I mean, once the ZT's been in. Um... I'm, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see if anyone ever releases no led tv <laughs> that's a nice little segue into yours.
1: <laughs> well uh, yeah uh, uh, it could be used as a segue i mean obviously there's there's TVs that we haven't seen yet we've only seen two uh, sorry we've only seen three from uh, samsung so far uh, we've seen four or five from panasonic a couple of leds a couple of plasmas we've yet to see the new sony range uh their tricolor panels be interesting to see how they perform and uh, we're also waiting on the uh, uh the top end at this moment in time uh, from Philips, which will be the the 8000 um we're hoping to get that through for review soon all in all we were worrying about the death of plasma um but here we are we've had we've had these three tvs through and they have all made gigantic steps in terms of performance and we're being spoiled for choice as consumers this year.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if this is to be the sort of the final days of plasma, what days they've been! I mean, we're getting we're literally uh, getting some of the best TVs uh, ever. Uh, you know, I mean, everyone uses the Kuro as a as a, as a sort of reference point, as a, as a touchstone for you know, one of the great TVs of all time. And, and that, you know, as everyone knows now, that's four years old since they stopped production on those. So you mm-hmm. know, it hasn't got 3D or um, uh, smart features or any of the stuff that you would expect on a modern television so it's getting a little long in the tooth um, in terms of uh brightness i mean i put my meter on the after i reviewed the because so the gt60 had uh, 120 cdm squared uh, for um, in the medium in the mid panel brightness setting no problem at all i could get a, a, a measure of 0.004 for cdm squared for the back level which is spectacular my Kuro measured 0.003 and it had 90 CDM squared on the brightness. So, in actual fact, the dynamic range on the GT was wider. Um, just so, but but basically, they're in the same ballpark now. I mean, we're are splitting hairs at this point in terms of performance. You know, as far as everyone's anticipation of Panasonic taking over Pioneer's crown, I think we can safely say they have at this point. You know, so at the end of here, are in 2013, we've got them. The, the, the ZT coming soon next month. We've got the, the VT, the GT. We've got the F8500. I mean, you know, who says plasma's dead? I know I did say that, actually, but I take it back. <laughs> I think it's got plenty of life for the old dog yet. I think partly because, and joking aside, maybe people were sitting on the fence last year thinking, well, OLED's around the corner. You know, that's going to look really good. Is it? We uh, Maybe not. Uh, 4K, that's coming, but that's obviously being pushed in terms of LCD panels. Then you had the problems with backlight uniformity and all the other issues that come with an LCD. Uh, So, And and, and I guess a lack of content is another issue when it comes to 4K. So, you know, when it comes to premium 1080p images right now, Plasma's plasma's the top dog still. And it looks like it will be at least for another year.
1: And, uh, you know, it was quite naughty of The Verge at the Panasonic US launch uh, to write a story saying that uh, Panasonic was stopping all production of Plasma TVs and it spread around the net like wildfire, and it
0: was completely inaccurate. It's shoddy journalism, in my opinion. We we could print stories like that all the time, but the fact is, that's just trying to grab headlines and traffic. It's not true. They're not stopping production of of, of plasma panels at all. No. Um, all they were doing was regurgitating a story that's been doing the rounds now for at least six months, and which you and I confirmed with the president of Panasonic at CES in January. Yep. Which is yes, they have stopped research and development on plasma, which is obvious. It means a mature technology. But let's face I mean, it, that's
1: that's what we want them to do. We want them to stop R and D because they're going to go and work on OLED, and yeah. we want OLED. We've we've all seen the prototypes. Uh, we've seen the uh, production models uh, from LG, which we're going to move on to in a second. Um, the technology looks great. We're still getting for review, but everything points to it being, you know, the next technology. We want them working on it. We don't. I guess we don't want to get stuck in a rut where where we're still arguing about LED, L C D and, and Plasma. We want to move on to something better and um if that's what they're gonna do and they're gonna use the panels that they've produced uh this year for the next couple of years uh line up of plasma is great because the the quality's there, the outstanding quality. And they can always change the way that the panels are driven, the electronics behind it. So so just because they've stopped R and D on the actual panel, it doesn't mean that they're gonna stop R and D in terms of the electronics and and, and the processing that drives the panels and add more improvements in in those departments. So I think people are uh, jumping the gun. And and who can blame them when when there are stories out there that are completely untrue, like that Verge story, which then appeared everywhere else on the net um, when it was stuff that, like you say, we discussed with the CEO, uh, Mr. Suga at uh, CES, when he confirmed it. So, you know, it's been around for a long time. It's going to be around for a few years yet, and let's face it, OLED is not going to come down to that price level, at least in the next three years. Um, and it all depends on on yield sizes and, and and getting that technology down in price. So, interesting to see what's going to happen, um, and it'll be interesting to see when we get it through for review this year.
0: Yeah, I know. I mean, obviously, we can't wait. But I will say, in terms of plasma, you know, if they've stopped RM, now that they've stopped R and D, well frankly, I I can't really see how it could get much better. (laughs) It's pretty impressive. So, you know, I I think most people would be very happy with the performance they're going to be getting from any plasmas they buy this year, certainly from the the two, let's be honest, the two left that are really producing them in any kind of numbers, which is Panasonic and Samsung. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah, it's it's not, I I think it's a bit of a non-story. They're going to keep producing these TVs, at least for another couple of years, as you say, Phil, until OLED becomes, you know, a realistic in term, uh mass market product in terms of pricing, so I have to wait and see. But yeah, I can't wait to see uh, what OLED really can deliver in terms of its you know, performance, because we've only ever seen it at show floors, and it looked impressive there. But uh, you know, if it lives up to its potential, this it, could be this could be you know, the, the holy grail of television technology. Couldn't
1: it? Well, I spent half an hour with one last week. I was fortunate enough to be invited by LG over to South Korea, uh, to their headquarters in Seoul. It was a, a three-day tour. Um, organized by LG UK, and uh, it was uh, most of the premier uh, websites and magazines that were taken out. There was, I think, nine of us in total. And it was an opportunity to see the company now. um, I'm not sure if you're aware, Steve, of of the history of LG, but um, certainly until I went on this press trip, I'd only ever known them as Lucky Gold Star back in the CRT days when they were producing uh, Budget very very budget TVs very very budget um and and they were known as a budget brand cheap and cheerful basically brand that's all changed now and until I went out in this this press trip you know that was my perception of of the company back then uh but actually it's a really interesting story i mean 1947 the company was founded as gold star and they produced uh, chemicals and uh, toiletries so toothpaste uh which was <laughs> Quite interesting to learn. Obviously, there was then the Korean War, and things picked up again in uh, 1953. And through till very recently, that's what the company did. And when I say the company, there are umpteen different uh, subsidiaries to that. So there's the chemical companies, the electronic company. Uh, Recently, there's the mobile company and home appliances and and, and so on. Um, but about 2009, 2010, they changed their name uh, to LG Life's Good. And it was about then, Steve, that, that they really sort of started playing the game and pouring money into research and development and coming out with uh, some really good quality TVs in terms of flat panels and starting to compete in the market. And my mind goes back to the Scarlet, which I think was their first real premium screen uh, which was a ccfl lcd tv uh, but they went with uh, a really nice design and then you could see the competition starting to to take over there between samsung and and lg in terms of design and and flat panels and so on i mean um so from from the scarlet i mean we've watched them develop their tvs over the last five or six years steve and um, they have got progressively better as as the years have gone on um, they are certainly pouring money into R&D and development. And that was one thing that I really took away from uh, this press trip was the size of the company. I mean, LG Corporation is the holding company and all the other companies are actually separate companies. So LG Display is separate from LG Electronics and that's separate from LG Mobile and that's separate from LG Home Appliances. Um And once you realise that, and uh, you then start to see all the facilities that are there. So LG Display is is actually on the North Korean border. And given things that are going on at the minute, one, going on the trip, uh, I was a little bit cautious, given the political situation (laughs) there. Uh, Two, being taken up to the North Korean border. And we could stand on top of the factory roof, and we did this. And you can look across and see North Korea. Um, So that was an interesting side to the visit. But yeah, it was really interesting. LG Electronics, um, R&D, the showroom, uh, we were showing everything uh, in in those terms. We were also showing mobile, we were also showing home appliances. But the thing across all the companies, and I think it's the thing that that really came out, was that they're really going for innovation now. They are really pushing R&D. They're they're ploughing lots of investment into new technologies such as OLED, and really trying to make a march on the marketplace. I mean, they are a strong number two in terms of overall consumer electronics behind Samsung. But you could really tell that the determination of, of all the uh, all the heads of each unit that we visited, the, the executives, they were all saying the same thing. Let's make our products smarter. Let's make our products easier to use. And let's listen to our customers. And let's listen to the consumer. And let's design technology that they want to see, which was really refreshing to see from a from a CE company I mean we've been in some meetings and and we've been in some uh, press events where you ask a, a question and you get a blunt reply in return we've all been there haven't we steve where you know you've yeah, tried to ask questions yeah and and all you get is uh oh i can't answer that and so on um on this trip they they were as relaxed as they could be and let's face it there has been quite a bit of um, controversy between Samsung and and LG. I mean, a lot of people would say the main uh, battle between the the consumer electronics companies is between Samsung and Apple. Uh, That's the one that seems to be be getting all the headlines at the minute, you know, Samsung suing Apple, Apple suing Samsung, and so on. Uh, And everybody forgets about LG, and LG's been creeping up there behind while all this is going on. And now they're really, it seems to be, in a position to, to try and take Samsung's crown from them. Looking at the technology of what we've been shown, I mean, a lot of it wasn't uh, divulged to us for obvious reasons. It's a, It was a completely different take on LG actually being there. And uh, you've read uh, the article and,
0: and I've spoken to you and we've gone through things. Has it changed your perception? It has, actually. I mean, because I guess you always, you know, it's no... Quite recently, only a few weeks ago, in fact, um, LG surpassed Samsung in terms of panel production. And now you've explained to me how the company structured. It, it, it makes sense because you're thinking, OK, right. So there's, there's LG displays and they make panels and they sell panels to everybody, including LG, LG electronics, not just electronics, but they'll, they'll supply them for TVs, for mobile phones. Suddenly, you, you you see how the company structured it and, it, and it actually starts to make sense. You think, okay, that's a quite clever way of doing it because it also means that they're making pounds for for these other manufacturers, except I suspect Samsung. Um, and and also you get a you get a feeling for the the rivalry that exists between those two companies. I mean, you kind of get a taste for it uh, over here. But I guess when you when you see the security in place, security measures at their factories and their offices, you know, the industrial espionage that we hear about in the news. But when you actually see it firsthand, it must really ram home just how how much those the two the d2 giants of electronics in the world currently are you know both korean um, you know and vying for that top spot between each other and and um, yeah you must have you've seen it firsthand just just yeah how you don't work for both companies you either work for one or the other I and mean, that choice you make is a choice you make you know when you leave university i guess and that's it for life
1: yeah it it, uh, I, it reminded me very much of the the japanese work ethic and, and i guess it uh, across Asia, it's it's kind of the same where you have respect for your elders, you have respect for your management. But at the same time, in terms of, of uh, employment and so on, you choose one or the other. We asked the question a few times, you know, has anybody gone from LG to Samsung or has anybody come from Samsung to LG? And the answer was, oh, no, no, it, that that just does not happen. Uh, and it's the same with the, the motor industry. You've got Kia and you've got Hyundai. Um, and it's the same situation there. You know, they don't swap over. They don't. Sw- if you pick your company, then um, that's who you stay with. But that seems to be very much the 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 work ethic, and uh, certainly the traditional sense of loyalty to your employer. And let's face it, and I've seen it firsthand. The employers look after their employees. They work them hard, and they do long hours and long days. Um, But the facilities that were there, I mean, no British company would ever um, have the type of facilities that that these companies have for their employees. First of all, everywhere you look in Seoul, there are these towers of flats, uh, apartments. And on the side of of each of these towers is the company name, who they belong to, and a number of the tower block. So employees are offered subsidised housing from the company, I think. Uh, The guy said it was $30 a month to rent one of these apartments from the company. So, really subsidised. They have sports facilities within the buildings that they work in. So, they have uh, fully equipped gyms. um, They have huge uh, canteens uh, that are fully staffed. Uh, They even have shopping centres underneath the office blocks. um, So, the employees can go and buy LG products. But they can also there's also like a newsagent and and other places like that that they can go on their lunch break and so on and and get what they need. And at the LG display factory, they had six full size football pitches down one side of the factory. They also had a baseball pitch. They also had basketball pitches. um And the Koreans are big on their sport. And I was really amazed with uh, not only those benefits but the other the other benefits the employees getting. and unfortunately i can't go into that because i was told that in confidence but it's just a completely different work ethic to the uk i mean in the uk you pay somebody to come and work for you because they have the skills um that doesn't happen in korea and and it's starting to bite them now because one of the things that was said to me by an executive is we can't get software engineers there's not enough software engineers going around And they're having to target universities. So this is Samsung and LG and Kia and Hyundai and all the other companies uh, and big conglomerates uh, that are based in Korea. They're all going after the same people, the same skills, and there's not enough to go around. And that is causing them some issues.
0: So any software programmers out there who are looking for a job? here in the UK, and you can can speak Korean, (laughs) you might want to try LG, Samsung, Hyundai or Kia.
1: Yeah, well, Uh, that's what he said. He offered us a job there, and then he says, if if you're a software engineer, we'll pay you. Whatever you want, (laughs) come and join us. And, And it's a real problem over there.
0: Yeah, well, I mean... Clearly, you know, not just because you're vast companies, but if you're doing the kind of research development that they are, uh, at the cutting edge of technology, not just in terms of TVs, but mobile phones and all, a vast number of other. I mean, all the um, products you saw in terms of, you know, washing machines and fridges and and, and the technology involved in that. I mean, didn't you mention a washing machine that didn't even use water? Um, which is yeah. interesting. <laughs> uh, so you know, you're going to get that kind of development going on. You know, you must be soaking up every cle- you know clever person in Asia trying to get them to come to to, to work for you. Um, you know, and I guess it pays dividends because, you know, as you mentioned at the beginning of this, Phil, uh, LG have gone from being, well, let's be honest, uh, a, a budget brand to, uh, they took a transition from that to producing. Well, I, I found when I started reviewing in 2010, um, you know, their products, I was quite surprised at, a, that they were excellent, very good value and that they'd included, you know, even on the lowest models full calibration controls. You know, they, I know you'd had a meeting with them previously. They took that on board, they listened to feedback you know, and they, they they were including 10 point M uh, ten point uh, white balance controls and full CMSs on TVs, even the budget models. So you could, yeah, and then they had things like Picture Wizard, which is another great little feature that helped people set the TVs up correctly. I mean, they really, really sort of, you know, developed, well, they were making still reasonably budget models, but they were performing extremely well and offering features that you weren't getting on some of the high end stuff from other manufacturers. So that was a stepping stone, and then obviously in the last couple of years they've they've made the step into higher end models, the premium market, and obviously i have been absolutely trailbla- trailblazing in terms of of R&D. You know, of all the manufacturers, it's been it's been LG and Samsung that have been first to the market. Certainly, in, in particular, LG, who have been the first to the market with uh, with OLED, uh, with 4K panels. Uh, you know, so th- you know. If there's any, if there's one company out there right now that really is uh, leading the way in terms of, particularly from our interest, our perspective, television technology, it's been it's been LG. So Phil, what did you see in terms of the TVs? Having spent half an hour with OLED uh, when you were in Korea, is it, is it is it the holy grail we're looking for?
1: One of my main concerns is is obviously it's a self illuminating technology, and when that's the case, you get born in and you get IR. Uh, maybe not so much burning nowadays with all the protection circuits and everything else it's built into plasma certainly and, and i can see that moving into oled I, those were the things i was looking for i was looking for anything that that i could see that was wrong with the image and i couldn't find anything um, and i was standing with a couple of other well-known tv reviewers uh, who worked for other publications and we all came to the same conclusion that we want it and we want it now <laughs> um the just the fact that that Per pixel basis, that when it's black, it is black, uh, and when it's bright, it is bright, and when you got both on the screen, um, objects just pop off the screen. You know, if you've got a back, and this is what they use in their demonstration uh, videos and and so on, they'll have, you know, a really black background and a dancer dancing, and and that gives you an idea of the dynamic range, and the dynamic range is outstanding. Um even motion, motion is truly truly spot on you know there's there's none of the drawbacks or slight drawbacks that you have with plasma i mean plasma far outperforms led lcd in terms of motion but there's still issues like dse and so on which will pop up now and again i couldn't see any of that on the oled that was there and it, and it was a production one it was sitting in their shop for sale um so it was a retail environment um and they've gone down the apple route in terms of retail environment it's, it's somewhere you can go in and actually play with the products and all the products from home appliances to mobile phones to TVs and so on. I I just can't wait to get my hands on one now. And unfortunately, it's probably going to go to you for a review. So uh, even then, I'm not (laughs) going to get to see it straight away. But yeah, I mean, this is a technology that we've been waiting for. I am so excited about it. It's, It's the first time in probably about three or four years that after the Kuro, things really sort of dipped off until Panasonic have really upped our game the last two years. And we've just been waiting for something to come along. We didn't know whether it was going to be a projector that was going to blow us away or, or, or TV technology. And and for a long time, from about 2008 to about 2010, uh, OLED had been shown in 2008 and then completely disappeared. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, yeah. And the only thing that we, we saw was a 9-inch screen from Sony and a 15-inch from LG, which I had in for review. And then it went quiet, deathly quiet. Now that we're at the position where you can walk into Harrods and see this, um, if you live in London, uh, and you can also pre-order it uh, if if you've got a spare 10 grand. Um, and that's the only thing that's going to hold up this technology for a little while. But I did ask the question, and I said to the, the TV executive uh, that was there, um, okay, so when do you see the price of OLED at least coming down to the same sort of price as a high-end top-of-the-line led lcd or or plasma tv and they said two to three years two years if the competition come to market early but more realistically three years now that's a lot quicker than i guess we kind of thought i I mean i was looking at about five years before it was going to seriously come down in price unless somebody uh, came up with a method that meant that they weren't thrown away more than they can make, and that's the issue at the minute. You know, they're, they're getting about thirty percent yield, so seventy yeah. I mean, percent of the stuff they're throwing away. You know, that's, that's, that's the
0: the problem. my big concern. Is is you know, uh, it's all well and good to show us a, a model, you know, in in at in, in a show or in a demo. It's all well and good to say there's you, know, you can buy it in Harris or put an order. No, you can't buy it. You can order it, and it's going to be available in a few months' time. Yeah, great. I remember the third you saw, you, saw, you reviewed the 15 inch um, OLED that LG did. There was a 31 inch that we saw at CES and never saw again. You know, we went to the launch of the 55 inch OLED in Monaco last May, so that's a year ago now, and yet they haven't, they really haven't been any, shipped in any, any meaningful numbers. So, so clearly there are issues in terms of production. And, and I guess that's going to be the big th- um, you know, stumbling block is, is can they produce enough for these TVs, uh, both in terms of enough numbers to meet demand but also in terms of realistic pricing for it to be a mass market product. In the meantime, everyone else is you know, busy, including LG themselves, are busy developing 4K and, you know, and 4K OLED. We've, we've seen Panasonic and Sony's 4K OLEDs, which were at CES this year. Uh, and I've got to say, they just totally blew me away. I mean, when you first see an OLED screen, regardless of the resolution, as you said, Phil, it, it's it's the dynamic range that, that that just surprises you. I mean, it's pitch absolute black to very bright you know and, and we make it you know when, when you read the reviews but we i mean I, i'm not we don't want to get bogged down with measuring black levels because you're not looking at a black screen but what is important is the dynamic range is from black to white and and how the tv performs in terms of showing a, an image that's a mixture of dark and bright images is that intra-frame contrast ratio and that dynamic range that, that really gives an image its punch and its vitality and makes really you know, grabs your attention with OLED, it just smacks you around the face, doesn't it? When you first see it, you think, "Blimey, that's incredible!" And it's Adi- and and it's the just above black detail, yeah. and
1: and and that's a point I want to make because because that's the thing, you know. Uh, you'll get an LED TV that uses dimming, and it, you know, it it can have a nice looking black level, but there's no shadow detail until you get to about twenty IRE, um, and and the same with some uh projectors like dlp um you're not getting that really low shadow detail in there you have to move to something like a jvc before you and and a properly set up jvc not an out of the box but one that has been properly set up before you can see that shadow detail and then you start to see yeah that's that's looking more more realistic you see it on oled and you can see every gradation of black from black all the way up to white and it is absolutely stunning the amount of shadow detail you can get in there because it's not crushing anything and, and it is a big game changer and you know i've read people saying oh well it's not going to be that good and it's going to be too expensive and well if i had 10 grand to blow i'd be blowing 10 grand on one that's how good it is
0: yeah definitely i mean uh you know we see particularly me i guess see a lot of tvs you know and i'm lucky enough to to review different models different brands different types of technology um so you know you get a bit jaded to a certain extent you know it takes a lot to surprise you um but no question the first time i saw an oled screen i was like wow um and every time i have since then i've still been you know that that looks amazing um throw in you know 4k resolution and you absolutely gobsmacking Uh, you know the future i mean you know However long it takes, uh, whether it's two, two years or five years, you know, one thing I can say is that the, the future television is going to look absolutely incredible.
1: When they said the competition, um, I kind of knew what they were getting at as well because there are strong rumours, and I'm not going to name the company, but one of the Japanese companies are going to release their 4K OLED and it's not going to be as expensive as you think. And I think LG are getting that same vibe because that's certainly reading between the lines of, of, of what we were being told. It was a case of, it's going to happen when the competition comes to market. Um, now, if that Japanese company has the same issues as LG, it may take them two years to get the product to market. But if there's strong rumours at the minute that the technique that they're using is not an issue in terms of yield size that LG are having with, with their uh, WRGB technology, it could be interesting come the end of the year, certainly into next year, and certainly next CES, um, to see where the technology is and where it is in terms of price point, Because I think once they hit the sort of five grand mark, that's when I think it's going to take off. And and it's getting the, it's getting the yields to get it down to that. Or whether the company is is brave enough to subsidise that, to kickstart the market, be interesting to see.
0: It, it, we are definitely living through very interesting times in terms of TVs. I mean, you know, we're seeing that, I guess, the last days of plasma, but even then it's going out with a bang you know, in terms of performance. Um, you're getting 4K panels now. You know they started going on sale last year, thanks to LG again and also Sony. At the end, of sort of December time of last year, that you had 4K panels, admittedly gigantic, 84-inch, 20, 23 grand 4K panels. But Sony have just announced pricing on their 55.5 55 inch inch panels, and we're talking five or six thousand dollars in the US. Now that's 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 mass that's much closer to mass market pricing than than perhaps we were originally thinking. So already you're getting 4K. LCD panels that are uh, hit, hitting a price point that's it's going to be acceptable to a lot of people, particularly the TV enthusiasts. Um, you know, so to so a certain extent, OLED needs to get its house, you know, needs to get it, its act together and start getting out there in the market pretty soon, because otherwise there's a danger that it gets kind of gets at least 1080p OLED, gets left behind by the push to 4K, which I think is going to happen a lot quicker than people realise.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, OLED, we can't wait for it. Um, hopefully, we'll get a review sample uh, sometime in the summer when the, the samples are available. Like you say, it's for pre-order at the moment. It hards. And as soon as the samples are available, I'm sure we will, well, I'm sure you will, uh, have a look at it. Um, and just to wrap up on the whole LG thing, it's not just TVs. Uh, we were given um, Optimus G uh, LTE phones for the week uh, because of the whole Korean system. You, your phone just doesn't work over there. Uh, so, to make sure that we could all stay in, in contact, uh, we were given these LG Optimus G phones uh, on LTE 4G. I can't wait for 4G. <laughs> I really can. And and hopefully our system is as good as uh, the Korean system because 4K streaming is a reality with with 4G at the speeds that I was getting from uh, and I had it tethered up to my Mac. Book and the speed on the internet, the speed of uploading and download. It was unbelievable, Steve. Um, I don't know if you've played with 4G yet, but again, this is this is another side of LG, that their mobile phones. I've got to say, I've been an I, iOS guy for about three or four years now. Um, but the way that they've their system works on Android and so on, and the way that the phone works and how slick it is and how quick it is at doing things. Uh, again, it's another area of technology where LG are really making a march as well on on that side of things.
0: Yeah, well, let's not forget, Phil, uh, the LG Prada phone was a forerunner to the iPhone, right? I mean, Apple nicked quite a few things from that to begin with. Yeah,
1: well, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. Let's get the allegedly (laughs) in there. Yeah, so, I mean, that was another side um of the company again a separate separate area of the lg company that that really sort of surprised me as well i mean not being into mobile phones not reviewing mobile phones at the moment and so on um just seeing that side of the business as well i mean and and this is how all the businesses work together because if if lg mobile design come up with a new design where do they get their screen from lg display where do they get the battery from lg chemical and you suddenly you suddenly get to see how this company works and and how they've managed to get themselves from what was a budget company like we keep saying up to a, a company now that's really pushing technology and, and let's face it samsung are doing the same thing this is not all about lg it's just that we had the opportunity to visit lg i'm sure samsung are just as enveloped in the whole uh, r d side of things i'm sure the security is just as tight on that side um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know i'm sure both companies are are and we know that they are pushing technology and uh, and when you see it all working together in this ecosystem that each company are, is building up with their products um it it's going to be interesting over the next few years to see who gets ahead and and who starts pushing for, for the next big products that are going to come along and i'm sure there's lots of things that are in development but we're really running out of time now so if you want more um on my visit to LG the article is on the front page of the forums at the moment, avforums.com. Uh, go and have a read if you have the time. And uh, please leave a comment if you feel that the need to leave a comment or questions or uh, just your thoughts on, on LG as a company, how you perceive the company and has your perception changed with learning a little bit more behind the scenes. Also, if you're interested in the reviews that we've discussed in this podcast, the GT60, VT65, and the Samsung F8500 plasmas, they're all up at avforums.com forward slash reviews. We've also got Philips TV coming next week, Steve, um, which is the 8000, and we also have another screen size of the VT65 and another Panasonic plasma, but we won't tell you which one just yet. They're all coming up uh, in the next week. Don't forget, we also publish podcasts uh, throughout the month. So on the 7th, we have the Movies Podcast. The 14th is the Games Podcast. And on the 21st of every month uh, is the Home Cinema Podcast, which you're listening to at the moment. If you have any comments, queries, or suggestions for us on the podcast, you can contact us via email, which is podcast at avforums.com. Or you can leave us a comment under this podcast in the podcast forum. So until uh, next month, and we're sure to have lots more reviews, lots more products to talk about, Uh, my thanks to Steve Withers. Cheers, Phil. And this is Phil Hinton saying thanks for listening. We'll see you again next month.
0: The AV Podcast was presented by Phil Hinton. Original music by Andrew Bassett and Richard Cosgrove. The AV Podcast was mixed and produced by Phil Hinton and the senior producer was Stuart Wright. All content including sound clips and music is copyright material and featured for promotional use only. The AV Podcast is copyright M2M Limited.